Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. Everything that moves, I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right. Another week and the first week of free agency has come and gone as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade continues. I'm Fran Duffy. And as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 169. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with former NFL scout Dan Hatman, who now heads up the Scouting Academy. And the topic of discussion today is going to be centered around team building this time of year and how the NFL, just like every other line of work, is a people business. It all comes back to relationships and for more more on that, I'll let you listen to my chat with Dan. I'll also give you my thoughts on a couple of the Eagles signings in the last week. But before we get into that, let's not waste any more time. I caught up with Dan Hatman of the Scouting Academy to discuss free agency, team building, and how it all comes back to people, people, people. Let's get to that chat now in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Well, it's been some time since I've had the pleasure of welcoming in Dan Hatman to the show. Dan is the Director of Scouting Development over at the Scouting Academy, which is just an awesome resource for anybody out there who's thinking about getting into the league, getting into football, or if they just want to get better at evaluating players and just being a fan of the game. Make sure you do your research into that. I can tell you it is a phenomenal program. So uh, Dan and the crew over there, they do a great job. Dan was a scout with the Eagles, the Jets, and the Giants before setting up the Academy, and I love having philosophical discussions with Dan whenever he lets me grab his air. Dan, welcome back to the show, man. It's great to have you on. Well, thank you so much for having me, Fran. Well, this is the time of year, and you know these wild dollar amounts. We're about a week into uh, the free agency, the, the new league year, and free agency, and these crazy contracts get thrown around all across the NFL. And, and to me, one of the most fascinating parts of free agency is just kind of taking a peek behind the curtain and trying to figure out, okay, which of these moves will work out, which of them won't. Obviously, we can look at it from an X and O standpoint, um, but really, there's the people element. Obviously, all of these players and all the teams they hope that all of these marriages will work out. Out, but all too often we see that they just they just don't work out for whatever reason. And you can go back through history, and some of the biggest contracts that are handed out aren't often the ones that turned out best in the end. And to me, one of those key factors is familiarity. And that's why when a new coach gets hired or a new GM gets hired, one of the first things that happens is, all right, we're going to bring in you know our people, their guys. That, that's the buzzword that gets thrown around. And I, I just want to kind of get the discussion started off on that point. You know, you follow movement around the league so closely. You've been involved in regime changes in the past. What are those discussions like in-house when a new staff is taking over and you're trying to find your guys that understands how things work? It's fascinating uh, to watch those mechanisms move because we we end up talking about football players in, in I talk about it we get oriented too much towards the blue chipper that has every trait right so we sit down in a vacuum we want to talk about a player let's say it's an offensive lineman we want him to be big we want him to be strong we want him to be athletic we want him to be tough and competitive and smart and the list goes on of all the things that you would want the problem is. There's very few human beings on the planet that manifest with elite grades in every single one of those categories in a specific position. Certainly not enough to populate all the teams in the league. So 
I think the fascinating conversations are when you can dig in on what are our mandatories? What are the things that we can't live without? And then where is the opportunity for that flexibility? If we can get all those things, yay, that's the cherry on top of the sundae. But where are the things where we'll tolerate a little less in one area to absorb more skill in another? And when you couple that with schematic elements, and you couple that in an environment in the NFL right now where we don't have a tremendous runway or timeline for development, we're not afforded that opportunity. The 2011 CBA uh, did not give us much in terms of getting players for two, three years in a program and preparing them to play. We need guys to play now. And even those contracts you're mentioning, I read a great piece today from Andrew Brandt where the vast majority of those deals, the teams can get out of them after a year without a whole lot of dead money against the cap. And so everyone's banking on these one- to two-year windows, right? We're not set up for four or five years down the road. That's too far away. So how can these guys help us today? Yeah, and I think that it's just fascinating when you look around the league and, you know, look, you can you can look to some of the big moves this year, obviously, uh, internally, you know, Deshaun Jackson returning to Philadelphia, obviously plenty of familiarity there with Howie Roseman, Doug Peterson, Deuce Staley, and others in the building that know what Deshaun is, know what he's all about, uh, you know, and they, they know what they're getting with Deshaun Jackson, right? But you look around the league, you know, Jordan Hicks going to the Arizona Cardinals, hey, he's going to be reunited with Billy Davis, who was his defensive coordinator when he was drafted here in Philadelphia. He's the linebackers coach now with the Cardinals. Trey Flowers and Justin Coleman going to the Detroit Lions. Plenty of familiarity there with Matt Patricia. Odell Beckham Jr. getting traded to the Cleveland Browns. They have his former wide receivers coach and former teammate uh, in Jarvis Landry. Uh, Deion Buchanan going down to our, or going down to Tampa Bay with uh, Todd Bowles and Bruce Arians. There's examples all around the league. And, you know, to me, I think... Ultimately, and tell me if you disagree, Dan, to me it's like player acquisition and team building in a vacuum is just – it's so difficult, right? There's just so, there's so many variables uh, that go into whether a guy succeeds or fails at his given location. So anything that a team can do to remove one of those variables, anything you can do to erase one of those question marks – you're going to try and do it. You're going to try and remove as many of those questions aside, and I think that's why those person-to-person relationships, that, that does exactly that. Most people want to reduce risk, right? right. We, don't, we don't like taking on a lot of risk. Um, we want to understand that when we put our roster together for week one, that we have our 22 starters, that we have our next 10 to 15 core role players, and we know what we're going to see in those times. Uh, to be sitting here this time of year, to be looking at that, you know, that core 30 players or so that really constitute the majority of your roster from a scrimmage perspective, to be looking at that and saying, shoot, we got 10, 15, and we don't know where they're coming from is a scary place. And so, obviously, you want to keep that as robust as possible, as deep as possible. Philadelphia's been doing a great job of that over the last handful of years. And when you go into a period like free agency right now, you're not buying upside. Right? To get to free agency, you had to accrue four seasons. So these guys are veteran players. They're vested. So you are buying known quantities. And they might come with certain deficiencies, but you're buying the things that they can do. And when you already have that overlap, you know how they're going to be in a locker room. You know how they're going to be in a meeting room. You know how they're going to be on a practice field. These are all the areas that are so much more of what drives the production on Sunday that we never talk about. 
when we look at the production on Sunday, we don't think about every hour that leads from that previous game to the next one that all those people in the building put in. I always talk about, you know, in a building, when you take your player pool, your coaching pool, your evaluators, your strength and conditioning coaches, your trainers, your video crew, your equipment crew, you're talking 150 to 200 people who are all spending usually 12 plus hours a week trying to generate a product on Sunday. So, yeah, we care about what they've done on Sunday. The unknown piece, the hard piece is if you don't know that human being and you don't know how they're going to spend those hours leading up to Sunday, that's risk. You're buying an unknown. When you go get someone where you know what all those hours are going to be and you know what the production is going to look like on Sunday, it's a lot It's a lot easier to figure out, okay, this is what we're going to have and then scheme around any deficiencies. But to buy an unknown, bring them in and go, holy cow, we had no idea it was going to be like this, is usually a risk that's too big to take when you're trying to get ready for a period like the draft. And I heard a great one today. Um, don't go – you go grocery store hungry and you start grabbing everything. Right, yeah. They were saying don't go into the draft hungry where you have to fill these holes. You have to put together that core 30. You'd like to go into the draft where you can take really excellent players – maybe at positions where you already have depth, but you have that luxury because you don't have to staff your starters still. Uh, so you can use that period of time now to build a roster that way. So let me ask you this question. You, you've spent a lot of time in the league as a, as a pro scout, right? Not necessarily not people for people who don't know, there are two sides of the scouting department. There's a pro side and a college side. You spent most of your time on the pro side, if I remember correctly. When you were evaluating players, how much did you take that into account? Was that, was that ever a part of the report, or is it more something that once, got, once it got presented uh, to the, to the higher-ups above, that, that that part of it, the, the familiarity, got put into the equation? Yeah, you'd start with just how good is this human being as a football player, right? And we try to get that down. If you come across someone, you know, there was a year uh, where, you know, Every year, New Orleans, every time Drew Brees' contract comes up in New Orleans, they always dance with him being available to free agents. He had to do the homework on, you know, maybe Drew Brees is going to be available. You know, when you have a player like that, you know, that's, uh, I mean, not just a known quantity, but an elite known quantity, um, you know, I'd take that risk 10 times out of 10, even if we have nobody in the coaching staff or scouting staff that's ever been around, right? But when you stack your board and you build a free agent board, just like you build a draft board, here's who's available, here's how we've graded their football ability, you end up finding clusters. You end up finding that at a position you have two, three, maybe even four players that are in the same grading category, right? So on a pro scale, one of the major grades is colored red, right? That's your, your, your solid starter type. There's can be, you know, on the plus side or on the minus side, that means ascending or declining, but you know, red players are solid starters. Well, you might end up with three red players on your free agent board. Well, if you've gotten to that point, you're going to pick one. I'm not going to sign all three at that point. You're going to pick one. It seems logical to pick the one that already has the previous relationship and add that player to the mix because that not only do we agree him out as a red player, but now we're bringing in someone that, again, has that memory with that coaching staff you don't have to spend as much time in the development curve with that player. They come in understanding the language that's going to be used, how the meetings are going to be set up, how practice and the scheme are going to be run. So they should be able to execute faster earlier in the season. When you have a player who's learning a new system, 
sometimes that first month, those first three, four games, they're going to have more mental errors just because they're still new in the system. Between this offseason signing period and week one, I want to say it's only like 30 or 40 padded practices. There's not a ton of reps between now and week one. As long as far away as that is, actual on-field 11-on-11 reps, there's not a ton of them. So if you bring in someone who doesn't know any of the language, any of the schematics that you're going to be installing, they may end up being behind those first few weeks. Now you're not getting that performance out of them that you graded. Like we said, hey, we think you'd be a red player. That's great, but if it takes them six games to do it, and he wasn't a red player in those six games, you didn't really buy what you thought you were buying. All right, so Dan, let me get, ask you this question now. Is there one example from your career that you can kind of think of, that you kind of harp on uh, as an example of a guy that really just hit his groove with one particular coach, you know, one player-coach relationship that really kind of brings this theme to life? Yeah, I, I, I go through this example with our students when I want them to go and do the background research, not just on where they played and who they played for as a head coach, but get into the coordinators, get into the position coaches. Uh, so when I walked in the door in Philadelphia, so right after the lockout broke in 2011, my, my first assignment was to go pick up Jason Babin from the airport. And so we bring Jason onto the team for the 2011 season. He had just come off his highest sack total of his career, 2010 in Tennessee, had 12 and a half sacks. 2011 for the Philadelphia Eagles, he had 18 sacks. Now, you're talking about a player that played for, I want to say it's like eight different teams over the course of his career. It was a first-round pick coming out of college. We got a 12-and-a-half and an 18 in those back-to-back years. Every other year, he never hit double digits. So he has this ability, this, you know, the talent, the traits, the ability to get double digits, but he only gets them in two years of his career. One of them's in Tennessee. One of them's in Philadelphia. What's different? Why did he only do it in those two years? Well, his position coach in 2010 in Tennessee was Jim Washburn. His position coach in 2011 in Philadelphia was Jim Washburn. Those two years where he had Jim for all 16 games, he had double-digit sacks. Every other season, for every other team, every other D.C., every other position coach, even with that ability, no one else got double digits out of him. I'm not saying I have the exact magic that Jim worked on Jason, but that connection between that player and that coach generated a production level that no one else could match. So you mentioned, you know, you get into those clusters and we, you hear, uh, you know, Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks will talk about this a lot uh, over on the move the sticks podcast, you know, those, those cluster busters, right? So a situation like this where there is familiarity, that would be a cluster buster. What are some of the other factors that would come into play, you know, from your experience, uh, things like medical or, you know, scheme fit, things like that. What are some of the other ways to kind of create some separation in those clusters of players? You actually get less information on their character once they become a pro. Because yeah. you're not going to call up teams in your division and say, hey, how good was he in the locker room? We may be competing over the same free agent here in a couple of weeks. Uh, you you know, you may be able to source some information that way, but it's a little more limited than like when you go in the college pool, you actually get a more robust character profile. So a lot of times in free agency, you still might be starting your background research with the character profile of them coming out of college and trying to see is there any new information that's come since they've came in the league that we can gather. And then the biggest one's the medical, because, again, a player with four-plus years of crude, they've probably played a lot of football in the last four, five, six, however many years, and you want to try to figure out 
where's that mileage, where's that wear and tear, because all we're really doing is trying to predict the future outcome of this player for our team. Right? That's all scouting is. We're predicting the future. Can this human being playing this game who is doing this work for somebody else, can he come to us and perform at a high level? That's what we're trying to figure out. So when you go into free agency, I always talk about this with a guy like Rob Gronkowski. When he's healthy, he plays at X level. What you have to do in this process is figure out, well, how often can we anticipate him being healthy? How many games are we really buying that production? You know, he just consistently misses somewhere in the neighborhood of four games a year. He plays through a back injury most years these days. You know, if he was available, are you getting 16 games out of him? Well, there's no, there's no evidence to suggest that you would. So now we might be looking at, well, max 12. And even of those 12, are we really getting his best performance in all 12? Well, maybe not unless our strength and conditioning department can keep him at full speed, which hasn't necessarily been the case. And then you have to start massaging that because what you really want to pay for is future production. Right? We want to put them on the field and pay for what they're going to do in the future, not what they've done in the past. Yeah, and I, I think that that ultimately is one of the big things of player evaluation. I was talking about this with uh, somebody on Twitter the other day. They're talking about Josh Jacobs, the running back from Alabama, and it's oh well, you know why would why would he be the number one running back in the in the NFL draft? He wasn't the number one running back on his own team. You know, he only started three games in his college career, and it's like. Look, I, I love Damian Harris, the, the guy who started ahead of Josh Jacobs, but you're trying to, t- to take a look at a guy. What he did in college is great, but you're trying to project what is he going to do from this point on. So you're trying to look at the traits that he did in college, that he showed from his college tape. Now use that to project what he's going to be for the Philadelphia Eagles or for the New York Giants or for the Dallas Cowboys, so on and so forth. You're trying to see what this guy is going to be in the future, and it's the same when you're dipping into the free agency pool. And I think that's where you start to see guys that, you know, uh, maybe they weren't starters uh, for their previous team, but you see that they've got upside maybe to be a starter in your, in your scheme. And that's, that's to me, those are the signings, too, that always catch my attention as well. I'm glad you brought up the draft and you mentioned you know, the character work. You do get a lot more character character work done from you know during that process whether it's through uh combine interviews obviously the college scouts they're on the road and they're they they're talking to these uh sources at the schools all year round um one of the things that i find interesting is you know after a guy gets drafted you know and you find out oh well you know the chris spielman is really really close with you know people at iowa oh this person this coach ga'd with somebody when they were when they were coming up together when they were younger and it's those those interpersonal relationships those little one-on-one scenarios that now lead to guys getting drafted in the first round one guy over another because of those same kind of person to person's relationships to me it's like any other business right like it's it's the nfl is a people business and to me it's a it's a side of the league that i, I find to be fascinating personally it's huge and you bring it up. This isn't nuanced to football, right? Human beings and our relationships with each other influence a lot of hiring and a lot of staffing and a lot of decision-making. And we just shine a bigger light on sports than we do in other areas. And again, when we talk about sourcing this information, I think one of the things that doesn't necessarily get brought up enough, the college coach is not incentivized to tear down one of their players, right? If they have a phenomenal human being on their roster, that's an easy sell. I will scream from the mountaintops how wonderful this person is because they're wonderful. That's easy. When you have someone that presents challenges, 
They might be significant challenges. They might be smaller and ones that may impact one organization more than another. Why, the college coach is not incentivized to make the NFL's life easier. In fact, every college coaching resume I've ever seen lists where their players that they, they either recruited or coached went in the draft. Because once they go to the NFL, the college coach can say, yeah, well, that was their staff. They messed the player up. See, when he was with me, he was a good player. We got him drafted in the second round. So they're incentivized to help their players go as high as possible. The agent community is clearly incentivized to get their player to go as high as possible. So the evaluation community has to work through all of that and find people that want to give you what you need to know, not what they want you to know. And that's where those relationships come in and why a lot of times people with more tenure can get better information. They've built those relationships over time, and those people are more willing to give them information. Again, isn't necessarily going to be exciting about a player. Might be some messy stuff you're going to have to work through, but at least shoot you straight on that. And if you just walk into a building, if I went to, you know, if I went to some college down the road, like Alabama's Pro Day is happening today. If I walk into Alabama and I don't know anybody there and I start going, hey, tell me about your players, they don't know me. They have no desire to help me. They don't need to make me feel good or tell me what I need to know. They'll pass along what they want me to know, what they've been, what's been approved to say. The only way I'm going to get any information out of that building that another scout can't get is if I have a relationship where I can source that information on a different level. And so a lot of the people that are out on the road trying to do this work, they've got to be among the best <laughs> networkers and and relationship builders there are because these college coaches bounce around all the time. So if you're working in the southeast region of the country, you might go to the same schools every year, but the people coaching at those programs is not stable. So you have to figure out how to navigate that whole process. Um, and, it, you know, it's, it's a fascinating, fascinating dilemma to be how does your team scout beat all the other 31 programs that walk in there and try to get information. Because if you if you think about it in a competitive standpoint, right, the scout for the Philadelphia Eagles that goes in, he needs to get different information, better information than the other 31 programs. What is allowing that individual to do that? And it, it's a there's not an easy answer to it. Dude, it's a, a fascinating topic that really, I mean, that's this is the stuff that gives me juices. Obviously, look, everyone knows I, I love the X's and O's. I love player evaluation, but uh, team building and just everything that goes into that side of it is just so fat. It's one of the things that really, honestly, first caught my eye when I was a kid in terms of, uh, you know, looking at how teams were built around the NFL, around all professional sports. So I, I could talk about this all, all, uh, all day long. Give us a, a quick little uh, summation. Where are you guys at right now in terms of the Scouting Academy? When's the next semester start? Uh, how do people learn more information? So we are in the midst of our spring semester. We run three different sessions of our film evaluation course during the year, spring, summer, and fall. That allows people to come in whenever their schedule allows for it. Each semester is the same material. And our next one, like I said, will be summer. It starts off May 13th. And right now, we feel blessed. We've uh, been able to help 29 individuals move on to NFL opportunities. 
Over 100 have gone on to college football, with 56 being Division One. We have people in the Canadian League, the Arena League, the Alliance. Um, so our, you know, our alumni have really gone everywhere, and they've taken the curriculum, uh, they've applied it, they've done an excellent job. I always make the comment, you, know, you can lead a horse to water, you can't make them drink. We've taught more people than have been successful, but the people that have come in and worked it and showed those signs of growth we get excited to go to bat for them and help them move to the next part of their career. Well, Dan, we really appreciate you coming on, and thanks again for joining us here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me. Great stuff from Dan, and you could follow him just like I do on Twitter, at Dan underscore Hatman, and while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. That's where I post all of the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And you know I greatly appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on every form of social media. That is one way to support the show, but the other is to go into Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, give us a rating, or even leave us a comment. I want to give a shout-out to two people this week who went on to our Apple Podcast page first Lou B7175, who left a five-star review and a comment saying how much he enjoys listening to the show. Thank you, Lou, for your, your support, and thanks for the review. Next up, a comment from Nick in Florida, who also left a five-star review and commented saying how much he enjoyed the show. Thanks to both of you guys, and thank you to all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcast offerings over on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. All right, I said in the beginning of the show I would just hit on the couple of the, the free agent signings. Last week we talked about Malik Jackson and Deshaun Jackson. So this week we'll talk about LJ Fort and Andrew Sendejo and also the re-signing of Ronald Darby. Look, the re-signing of Ronald Darby makes a lot of sense. Obviously the Eagles like what they have already with that young group of corners. Uh, so many guys that have gotten quality experience so far in the NFL. But Darby, he obviously went out to the open market, didn't see what he wanted, for, wanted there. So if you're going to go and you're going to sign a short-term deal, why not stay here in Philadelphia? You already have a great understanding of the scheme. You've got a great understanding of what's going on in the locker. And we just got done talking with Dan about how important that is. So for a great situation for Ronald Darby to have success moving forward, he can come back, compete in this uh, this secondary room, compete with guys like Jalen Mills and Sidney Jones, compete for playing time, and, and potentially earn himself a better deal next year at this time. So makes a lot of sense for the Eagles standpoint, makes a lot of sense for Darby's standpoint. And then you look at the two new additions, LJ Fort from the Pittsburgh Steelers. I, I've talked with a couple people that cover the Steelers and have been around that team, and they've got nothing but great things to say about LJ Ford, the kind of hard worker he is, how athletic he is. He really came on on the back end of this year. Really athletic kid who's really earned, him, earned himself uh, a spot in, the, in this league because this is a guy who started on special teams, worked his way up into the rotation, and was really an impact player in their sub package. Can he be more than that here with the Eagles? We'll find out. We'll see how he's going to compete this spring and this summer with guys like Kamu Grugia Hill and with Nate Gary and the like but really it's going to be interesting to see how he comes in and fits in this linebacker room because everything you hear about him is that he really really works hard brings everything you want from an intangible standpoint and will also have all the physical tools to be a three down player and then you look at Andrew Sandejo who uh, his option was not picked up by the Minnesota Vikings he had been a starter there for Mike Zimmer playing in the post next to Harrison Smith and I think when you look at Sandejo 
He's a guy that can come in right now, and you know that he feel you feel like he can be that third safety for your team, right? We know we have Malcolm Jenkins, Rodney McLeod, Avante Max played a little bit of safety his first year. Is he going to play corner in his second year, or is he going to play safety? We don't really know that right now, but I think when you look at Sendejo, this is a guy that you know can be a third or fourth safety. It's only a one-year contract, so if you do decide you're going to add another player down the road, you're not attached to Sendejo long-term, but ultimately you've got a guy that if you're to line up and play tomorrow, Tomorrow, you have a guy that can be a third or fourth safety, play that Corey Graham role in your defense, play in dime, play in a big nickel. He can do a lot of those different things. So uh, the Sendejo signing makes a lot of sense as well from a team-building standpoint. You don't want to go into the draft, as, uh, as Dan said earlier, you don't want to go in hungry. You want to make sure that you have all of your needs filled going into the draft so that you're not forced to address one position of need, one area or another. So great stuff this week from Dan Hatman and all of you out there listening, whether you're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, Google Play, of course, as well on PhiladelphiaEagles.com or the Eagles mobile app. Thank you. One more time. Take a few seconds. Go rate the show. Leave us a comment. Don't be afraid to leave a question on there as well because I'd love the ability to answer it here on the podcast. We've got a couple more in the queue. After that, it's wide open. So if you guys want to get a question, maybe even uh, create a show topic for us, go on, leave a question on there on our Apple podcast page, on our Stitcher page, and I'll make sure we hit it in the next coming weeks. So all that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I'm Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.